All right. You can make your way back to your seat. And as you're doing that, I want to welcome everyone joining us online this morning. Also, I know so many of you are sick this morning, and, and uh, we've talked to you earlier in the week and even this morning, uh, and we've been praying for you. But I also want to let you know, as a church family, we took some time and prayed for you at the beginning of the service, so we're praying you feel better and that the Lord visits you this morning and uh, comforts you in, in, in every way, is with you. Well, uh, those online... You can go to vinetrustville.com for connection cards and giving. Those of us here in the room, your connection cards are the yellow cards either on the table or in the chairs in front of you. Uh, We'll go over that at the end of today's message. Uh, All of our giving is pretty much done online at vinetrustville.com. If you want to give in person, we have some, we have a little resource table right back here by the sound booth that has some generosity envelopes and some pens, connection cards, and books and stuff for you as well. Uh, But most of our giving is done through the website at vinetrustville.com, like I said, multiple times. Also, just a reminder uh, for you in here, we do have ESV Bibles in the back in the coffee counter. They're the blue Bibles over there. If you'd like to read a physical Bible along with us today, throughout this healthy series, we're going to be using the ESV version. We use ESV and NLT a lot on the first-time guest table by the door out front. You can get, there's, we have both versions there. If you want to grab a Bible, if you don't have one, feel free to do that. Or, uh, as always, if you want to use one of the ones we have here to read, Uh, while we're talking, and then you can put it back. That's up to you as well. And of course, most of us just use our smartphones, so you can do that as well. No problem. Um, I remember whenever, like, we had this, there's a basketball, right? That's my son's basketball hanging out right there. That's funny. Uh, I remember when, like, that was random. Uh, Squirrel. But I remember when the transition happened, whenever, like, Bibles were on your phones, because, like, in youth group, uh, Brooke and I were youth pastors back in the day, and all the kids would bring in their phones, and we did not allow them to have their cell phones, you know, while during service. Like, no texting, you don't can your phones out. But then we started using the YouVersion Bible app, and we started using the plans to, like, do small groups and stuff. So then kids would always be like, well, I'm going to use my Bible uh, on my phone. I was like, oh, okay. So then we stopped saying no phones. Who knows how many were just texting or playing games the whole time, but you know what? I'm believing every single one that had their phone out was reading the Bible. That's just what I believe, and ignorance is bliss. So, you know, well, this morning we are continuing our healthy series, and today the title is Healthy Point of View. Healthy Point of View. You know, a number of years ago, um, the, I had the pleasure of not only introducing our children to Star Wars, but whenever they, we introduced them to Star Wars, introduced them to something that I loved dearly, you know, the original three. We started back with the original three because those are the ones you should start with that were made in the 70s and 80s, you know. And then we went to episode one, two, and three. But then Disney decided to bless the entire world by creating three additional Star Wars. And so we were super excited. And I remember uh, for all three of the new Star Wars that came out, like we got together as a family and we'd go and see the movie together. Uh, and there's even a couple times where we saw it like open day or the day after opening day. And I remember we were going to see one of the Star Wars movies. And for me, I love the experience of Star Wars, but I also love being surprised. So a bunch of people, you know, you and the kids, like they had looked up trailers and like trying to figure out what's going on. I "I didn't watch any of the trailers or anything. I was like, I want it to be kind of a brand new experience where I'm just, you know, I'm experiencing all for the first time, the first time we watch it. And we go to the theater and as we're walking in, you know, there's a bunch of people walking out, like massive amount, mass amounts of people. We were in California at the time and someone walking out just screams out the ending to one of the movies like one of the major spoilers to one of the movies. Now, uh, 
I won't, you know what, I will tell you, it's been years since this came out, but Han Solo, you know, he doesn't live in one of the movies, right? Like he, at the very end of the movie, he died, and someone yells out like, Han Solo dies, and I'm like, I'm going to kill you. Like, I don't even know you, but I'm going to kill you. You know, I'm like, what? But then I just kind of like just kept ushering the kids in. They're like, what? What did he say? What happened? What did he say? I'm like, no, nothing. You know, he was just talking about, you know, uh, he's going to go get some pan fried chicken or something. I don't know what he's saying. He's like, well, let's just go. Let's just go. Let's go. Let's go. You know, I hate spoilers. I don't like them. I like to experience. I mean, I, I will never read the end of a book or watch the end of the movie. I don't even, if it's a movie that I really care about, you know, I won't watch the trailer. I just want to experience it all. My wife, on the other hand, is completely opposite. Brooke loves spoilers. She can't even handle the anticipation. Recently, she was reading a book or she was listening to a book uh, through the Libby app and she couldn't take it. So she actually got the physical book that we had in the house, flipped it to the very end and read the ending of the book. I'm like, what are you doing? You can't do that. Like, that's not, that's just, that's wrong. Like, there's just something just incredibly wrong about that. But in my opinion, yet sometimes it's really good to know the end before you start. Whenever you know the end before you begin, any stress, any worry, you know, that, that anxiousness or whatever, it's not there when you know the end. When you know that your team is going to win, you know, I have family members and friends that do not watch their either Alabama or Auburn football games live because they can't handle the stress. They wait and hear the end. And once they know the end, they go back and watch it so they can enjoy it. You know, and there's been many times in my own life where uh, I've watched a movie for the first time and I'm trying so hard, you know, to figure out what's going on and just really pay attention to what's happening that when I went back and watched it the second time, I actually enjoyed it more the second time because I already knew the story and so I could pay more attention to the nuances and just, and just enjoy it. You know, as followers of Jesus, we have this thing called the blessed hope. Now, I haven't heard a whole lot about the blessed hope in many, many years. Uh, but I was listening to a pastor named Derry Northrup. Uh, he pastored a church in Colorado called Timberline Church. Great church. I was listening to one of his old podcasts recently. And he was talking about the blessed hope. And I remembered, like, oh, as a kid, hearing about the blessed hope. Well, uh, a little bit about that. If you haven't heard of the blessed hope, it, it comes from, from John the Revelator uh, in the book of Revelation. See, what happens in the book of Revelation is John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's been sentenced there to live out his days uh, on the island of Patmos and, and just basically to wither away and die. And then Jesus visits him on this island. And the sky rolls back and God reveals to John everything that's going to happen at the end of time. At the end of the age, he reveals to him everything that's going to take place. And so when we read the book of Revelation, we're reading John's account of what he saw that God showed him about the end times, about the end of days. And let's be clear, like we do not understand all of Revelation. Anyone who says they understand all of it, they're deceived. Like they don't understand it all. Like it's so confusing and it, we're not even going to understand it all in, until it happens. But if you go to Revelation 20 and 21, we do know some very key and powerful things, and that is God wins. We know at the end of the age, at the end of time, God wins. That's the blessed hope. The blessed hope is not a, a wish or a desire for everything to work out. The blessed hope is an understanding that in the end, God wins. You know, all of the evil in this world, all of the Slavery and disease, the famine, wars, the sex slavery, the division, the hatred, all the things that we despise, one day will be gone because God wins. 
One day, all evil will be gone. That's the blessed hope. When we understand this, it can change our point of view. It changes our outlook on life because we don't need to live terrorized by evil. You don't have to live afraid of death because we know that one day, one day we will pass from this life, but we have a life beyond this one. And we know that God wins. You know, one day, whether it be, uh, you know, a a blood disorder, whether it be old age or whether it be cancer or or something else, one day I'm going to pass away. One day, each and every one of us is going to relocate from this earth into eternal life. And, you know, I've been to many funerals. I've done many funerals and and mourned. And anytime someone passes away from this life, we mourn and we grieve because they've been relocated. My grandfather, I've talked about that before a couple years ago, uh, he was the closest one relationally to me who lost his life. Uh, or, 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 you know, who, 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 uh, who, who died. I mean, he died of old age, but uh, he was the one who was closest to me and had a profound impact on my outlook on grieving and, and, uh, and processing through grief. But I know that he's in a better place. I know that he's been relocated to heaven. And one day we will all be relocated. One day that will happen. And there's, uh, it's a good thing to, to mourn and to grieve, but also to understand that as believers, we don't have to live in fear of that moment because we're going to be relocated to eternal life because God wins. So on this earth, we don't have to be, live terrorized by evil. We don't have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of disease. You know, if, if I get diagnosed with something that, uh, you know, is terminal, I'm going to do everything that I can to stay healthy. Like, I'm going to do everything within my power to stay healthy and live longer for my wife, for my kids, for my family, you know, for my church family and all that. But uh, I'm going to do everything that I can, yet I do know that I don't have to be afraid of death because I have this eternal life. That's the blessed hope. Now, while we're on this earth, we are to live on the mission of Jesus. That's the song that Josh just sang, Pour Me Out. It's saying, you know what? While we're on this earth, our goal is to follow Jesus as best we can, and our goal is to get as many people as we can to help, or to help as many people as we can follow Jesus as well. To, to uh, reveal to them, to encourage them to figure out and put their faith in the blessed hope. The fact that God wins, that all evil will be gone. See, this was Jesus' point of view. We've been in this healthy series and walking through chapters of Matthew. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up there. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to read a handful of verses and kind of walk through this entire chapter. When Matthew chapter 9, as I was reading it this week and studying it, we're going to see here that we can't deny that this is a profound chapter describing Jesus' mission on earth. We talked about this a little bit last week, how Jesus came and he touched the leper. You know, how he ministered to the Gentile, the, the, the Roman centurion, but also um, how he uh, uh, cast out the demons from the demon-possessed men and, and what that foreshadowed about the end times. Well, in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to see that Jesus was on a mission. But one thing we need to be clear about is the mission of Jesus has never been bigger buildings, better presentations, and bigger budgets. Like, that's never been the mission of Jesus. Sometimes in Western culture and Western church, we can get in our uh, we can get sidetracked a little bit and think that the mission of our church family is to grow the church building, to have you know bigger budgets and to have better presentations and more money in the bank. That is not the mission of Jesus, and that's not the mission of our church. The mission of Jesus was always about 
people. It was always about people finding the one true hope so that they can enter into eternity in heaven forever. All right, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 8. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 3. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said this, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? So I want to pause right here. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Your sins are forgiven is much easier to say because there's no tangible proof of that. Jesus is saying, okay, well, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk? And he's implying it's obvious to say, rise and walk. So then listen here to verse 6. But that you may know, or so that you may know that the Son of Man, Jesus speaking of himself, speaking of himself, so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then says to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. The first thing, if you want to take notes this morning uh, and write this down, is that Jesus forgives sins. The first thing that we see in Matthew chapter 9, is that Jesus forgives sins. He looks at this paralytic, and the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. Now, this was a big deal to the religious leaders. They say, this, he's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, well, what's easier, to heal this man or to just forgive his sins, to say this? Well, it's, it's easier to say that. Let me show you some tangible proof that I am the Son of Man. Let me prove to you that I'm the Messiah, the Son of God, who has the power to forgive sins, and then he heals the paralytic. You know, our greatest need as humans isn't money. Our greatest need isn't shelter. Our greatest need isn't food. Our greatest need isn't clothing. Our greatest need is forgiveness. Jesus looks at this paralytic, and the first thing he says is, your sins are forgiven. He knew that this man had a much greater need than healing a much greater need than physical healing. He needed eternal healing, right? Money, shelter, food, clothing, all these things, they're temporary problems. They're temporary needs. We only need those while we live on this earth. But we have an eternal need that is so much greater than need for forgiveness. And the truth is, in Romans 3.23, is that all of us have fallen short. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. Every human being who's ever walked this earth except for Jesus has sinned, made mistakes, and is in need of forgiveness. Jesus believed, or not Jesus, sorry, Jews believed that your physical problems, like your physical disabilities, your physical ailments, were given to you because of the sin of your parents or because of some future sins that you were going to commit. So when there was a paralytic in their mind, this paralytic was disqualified from the things of God because of the sins of his parents or because of his own sins. That he was disqualified. And then Jesus comes and he says, you're forgiven of your sins. He forgave his sins before he healed his body because he was 
proving to them, one, he has the power to forgive sins, but also that this man's brokenness, that this paralytic's uh, disability didn't disqualify him from forgiveness. Your brokenness doesn't disqualify you from forgiveness. Your brokenness doesn't disqualify you from forgiveness. Now, a lot of us, we're in here and, and we've been followers of Jesus for many, many years. We've friends watching online. We've been following Jesus so long that we know this. Like we know this deep. It's like, man, I've been broken. I've made so many mistakes. I get that. Yeah, it doesn't disqualify me from forgiveness because I've been forgiven. But I want you to think for a moment in the context of the people in your life, friends, family, coworkers that you've written off. People that you looked at. Now the Jews looked at the paralytic and they had written him off. He's disqualified from the things of God because he can't walk. So because of some sin of his parents, because of some sin he's going to commit or he has committed, God has chose to give, to, to give him this disease and so that disqualifies him. So they wrote him off. Think about the people in our lives that we've written off because of their sin, because of their brokenness. We've said, they're too far gone. Your brokenness doesn't disqualify you from forgiveness. Your friends, your family members, their brokenness doesn't, doesn't disqualify them from forgiveness. Let's continue on in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Now, what's the book that we're reading out of here? Matthew. Same dude. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, you may or may not like the IRS, right? You may or may not like tax collectors in modern day. You may severely dislike paying taxes. But I can guarantee you the dislike that you may or may not have for the tax collectors in our day is nothing compared to the disdain the Jewish people had for tax collectors in their day. Because what happened is Matthew here, he's a tax collector, but he's a Jewish man. So basically, the Jewish tax collectors, their job was to collect taxes from the Jews for the Romans. So their job was seen as a complete uh, betrayal of their friends, their family, and their heritage. Just by being a tax collector, they were seen as, you know, uh, as treasonous to their clan, to their Jewish friends and family. But beyond that, how tax collectors made their money was they swindled the Jewish people out of more and more money. It was a common practice that the Romans, had, you know, collected a certain amount of taxes from the tax collector and they let the tax collector keep anything else that tax collector procured. So the tax collectors, they were evil. They were sinful. They'd go around and they'd steal money all the time. They'd swindle money. And so look here at this story. Jesus looks at Matthew while he's still sitting at the tax booth, while he's still living in his current state of perpetual sin and calls him and says, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. And look at verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now I said that, you know, uh, in my normal uh, tone of voice, but I want you to imagine, they probably said it a little bit more with a seething perspective. Like, why in the world? Why does your teacher sit with tax collectors, with sinners? They probably made that noise. I mean, I don't know. No, that's not 
It doesn't say that, but I just that's the way I see it in my head. Because they hated tax collectors. They wouldn't be caught dead reclining at a table with sinners. But when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Second thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Is that Jesus sees your past and Jesus sees your future. So when we look at Matthew here, Jesus knew Matthew's past. He knew that Matthew had sinned greatly. He knew that Matthew was a tax collector. He was a swindler. He knew that he uh, had betrayed his countrymen. He had betrayed probably even his own family. And he had stolen money that he was giving it to the Romans. Jesus knew Matthew's past, but he also saw Matthew's future. He knew that Matthew would one day write a book that billions and billions of people for thousands of years, generation upon generation, would find the kingdom of God, would find Jesus through Matthew's writing. He saw his past and he saw his future. Jesus sees your past and Jesus sees your future. You know, a few uh, days ago, few, maybe it was last week or so, Josh and Michelle were hanging out at our house and they brought over their two little girls, you know. Sarah and Ellie were running around laughing. It was wonderful to have, you know, little girls in the house. Our daughter's 15 and she hasn't been that small in a very long time. And so the night is getting later, you know, and we're still wanting to hang out. So what do you do when the night gets later and you want to hang out where the kids are tired? You put on a cartoon, right? And so for the first time in forever there was a movie on in our house that has not been on in many, many years, Frozen. One of the greatest cinematic creations of all time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh Which actually was Frozen 2. And they started playing, and I was like, oh, I know all these songs. And Brooke's like, no, this is Frozen 2. You don't know those. I was like, oh, no, I don't. But when the original Frozen came out, it was like one of the first times, you know, like culture technology was all converging. And so we saw Frozen and Maddie loved Frozen. And then we had Spotify, so we didn't have to buy the soundtrack. We could just listen to it for free. So we played that soundtrack over and over and over and over and over again. So we know all the words. We can sing all the words. And there's this one song called Fixer Upper. And it's, uh, it's like these rock trolls, right? Yeah. Sure, something like that, rock people, and they're singing about how, you know, this guy is, a, maybe he's a little bit of a fixer-upper. And there's this line in the song that every single time the line came on, I would shout out, that's not true. Because in the, line, in the song they say, we're not saying you can change him because people don't really change. We're not saying you can change him because people don't really change. And I would say, yes, they do. That's not true. And so like our kids knew when this line came out, this is what, this is how the song goes. So I would yell it out. So after a while, like they would yell it out too. I was like, that's not true. People change all the time. It's like, I wanted them to know. We, culture has this idea and it's been great. You, you can't, people don't change. Now, the song in the context is that you can't change someone else. And that is true. You can't change your spouse. You can't change your, you know, your friends. You can't change your family. But people change all the time. Jesus sees your past, and he sees your future, and he knows that you can change. We look here, Matthew, right? This story of Matthew uh, being called to follow Jesus is not just a story of forgiveness. It's a, restore, it's a story of redemption. 
Because he didn't just forgive Matthew. He said, come and follow me, and I have a new story for your life. I have something new that you can go and do. Here's the thing. Your current sin doesn't disqualify you from future ministry. Matthew is living in his current sin. He was still swindling the people. But when Jesus said, come and follow me, he left it behind. So in the midst of his current sin, it did not disqualify him for future ministry. The same is true of us. God called Matthew when he was still a tax collector, when he was still evil, when he was still doing wrong, but Matthew left it behind. Your current mistakes, your current brokenness, your current sin doesn't disqualify you from future ministry. Now, notice I said from future ministry. Because if we're living in perpetual sin, that would disqualify us from a lot of current ministry. Okay? So I'm not saying of like, oh, you know, well, it's okay for like pastors to get up and preach and then go and, you know, commit all kinds of sin Monday through Friday. Like, no. But your current sin doesn't disqualify you from future redemption. It doesn't disqualify you from Jesus coming in and say, leave that behind, follow me, and we'll go in a new direction. Your current sin doesn't disqualify you from future ministry. Your past doesn't disqualify you from expanding the kingdom of God. See, Matthew had a past. He was a swindler. You know, he was a thief. And Jesus called him, and he expanded the kingdom of God greatly. But if we look at other men of the New Testament, we can see that their past didn't disqualify them from being used by God and expanding the kingdom of God greatly. Matthew was a swindler. He was a tax collector. Peter was arrogant prideful. Paul condoned murder. Paul was a murderer, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament. Your past doesn't disqualify you from expanding the kingdom of God. Now, as we talked about in our first point here, the same thing is true here. Think about the context of those around you, those friends, those family members, those neighbors that you've written off. They're too far gone. Their current sin doesn't disqualify them from forgiveness. Their current sin doesn't disqualify them from expanding the kingdom of God one day. Let's continue on. Matthew 9. We're going to skip to verse 18 here. I'm going to read 18 and 19. Then we're going to skip to verse uh, 23. While, he was staying, uh, while Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Now let's skip down to verse 23. And when Jesus came to this ruler's house, and he saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. Go away, the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him, because they knew. No, like, She's dead. She's not breathing. She's gone. He says, no, she's just sleeping. Verse 25. When the crowd had been put outside, he went in. He took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all the district. Number three. Jesus sees what can be, not just what is. Jesus sees what can be, not just what is. He looked at the girl, and they said, she's dead. So the mourners came. I mean, these were, these were professional mourners. That's what they were. What happened in Jewish culture, there was professional mourners. They got paid to come and play the flute, and they got paid to come and be around the family whenever someone had passed away. They were professional mourners. Jesus looked at them and said, 
go ahead and go away. She's just asleep. Jesus sees what can be, not just what is. She looked dead to everyone else. It seemed helpless, seemed hopeless to everyone but Jesus. To Jesus, it was just an opportunity. It's never too late to follow Jesus. It's never too late to follow Jesus. Think about that for the people around you, the friends, the family members that you've written off. It's never too late to follow Jesus. You know, I had a great uncle uh, that for 30, 40, 50 years ran away from the Lord. And my grandmother, she prayed for her brother day in and day out, year after year after year, decade after decade after decade. When many, many others had given up praying, had given up hoping, hoping, had given up believing, she just kept praying. And one day, late, late, late in his life, he chose to follow Jesus. He passed away a short time after, and we're going to get to spend all of eternity hanging out with him. It's never too late to follow Jesus. It's never too late for your friends and family members that you've written off to follow Jesus. It's never too late to live on the mission of Jesus. Your past doesn't disqualify you from living on the mission of Jesus. The mission is not about buildings, money, right? The mission is about people. It's never too late to say, yeah, I've maybe been doing things in my past that, or even currently that I that are sin that I don't want to do, but there's never too late to say, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus, and not only am I going to follow him, I'm going to live on his mission. I'm going to live on the mission of Jesus. I'm going to live in such a way where I say, Jesus, pour me out. Wherever I am, wherever I go, pour me out. God, take my life and pour it out to others around me. Now, we can think about that in the context of, of sin and past sins, but I also want to think about that in the context of, uh, of apathy. Sometimes we just become apathetic, right? There are seasons in our life where we, just, we know Jesus is real and we go to church and we hang out with the family and we go to work and we do our thing and we give no time or attention to uh, living on the mission of Jesus. It's normal to just kind of forget, let it go by the wayside. We, we just, you know, we're going through life and we just forget about it. And what happens is the enemy will come in and try to convince us that since we haven't been living on the mission of Jesus in our workplace yet, that it's too late. We've been there a year. You've been there five years, been there 10 years. Like, it's too late. Your friends at work, like, they know who you are. Like, it's, it's too late. If you want to live on the mission of Jesus, like, you'd have to change your whole life, you know, and go somewhere else or work somewhere, whatever. It's never too late to start living on the mission of Jesus. All it takes is an openness and a willingness to say, God, here I am. Here I am. Send me. God, I pray that you would open up some divine opportunities. We talked about that last week, right? In the ending, we prayed, God, open up some divine opportunities for me to just speak some life, to speak some hope, to speak some love into someone else's heart, in someone else's life. It's never too late to live on the mission of Jesus because Jesus not, he doesn't just see what is, he sees what can be. He looks at your life and doesn't just see who you are now, but he sees who you can be through the power of the Holy Spirit. He looks at this girl and says, she's just sleeping. Because what's going to happen is she's going she's to come back to life. Let's skip down to verse 35, Matthew 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Pay attention to verse 36 here. When Jesus saw the crowds... 
he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He looked out at the hurting. He looked out at the wayward. He looked out at the confused. He looked out at the crowds. And he was moved with compassion. The words here in the original Greek talk about a physical movement. Like his insides physically moved. He had such compassion for the hurting, the helpless, those who were wayward. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He had such compassion for them, he was physically moved. And look what he says to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He looks out and says, the harvest, look, he has such compassion. The harvest is plentiful. There are so many people out there. There's so many people out there that need the hope of Jesus. And the harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the laborers are few. And look what he says in verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here's the truth. The harvest is still plentiful, and there are still too few workers in the fields. Jesus looked out and he had compassion. I want to challenge you for a second. Do you have compassion for the lost and the hurting? Do you have compassion for the lost and the hurting? Or are you just angry at their sin? When you look out and see the crowds, you see the helpless, you see the hurting, you see the lost, you see the deceived. Not just those who are poor, you know, not just the widows and orphans. Like sometimes it's, it's easy to have compassion for the widows and orphans because our station in life is so much better off. That we can look down at someone lower and say, you know, uh, from, from even a cultural perspective, and say, I'm going to have compassion and I'm going to give to them, which you guys do all the, you guys are so generous. I mean, what we've done through Convoy of Hope and all that. But how many times have you looked at someone, maybe that is even higher up on the food chain, a boss, you know, someone higher up on the org chart, someone that has a bigger house that makes more money or whatever. But because of their sin, because they are lost and helpless without Jesus, had compassion for them. See, sometimes we only have compassion for those that are physically, uh, have physically less than we do. But Jesus looked out at the crowds and he saw not their physical needs, he saw their eternal needs. He said, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They don't know where to go. And also Jesus here is, uh, or Matthew is writing, it's a commentary on how far the religious leaders have gone away from what God had intended. You know, God had set up Jewish culture so the religious leaders, they led the people, that they shepherded the people. And he's saying the leaders of the people have gone so far in the wrong direction that all the people are lost and confused. And Jesus was physically moved with compassion. When was the last time you saw someone and they, they did something, they were living in such sin that their sin caused you to have deep compassion for them? They were so moved for compassion for the lost and the hurting. When you see someone living in sin, does, living in sin, does your heart ache with compassion for them? Because the harvest is still plentiful, but there are still far too few workers. People are saying, you know what? I'm going to live on the mission of Jesus. Going back here, verse 38. Jesus says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into the fields. To send out laborers into the harvest. I have an honest confession. 
I don't pray very much for God to send more workers into the fields. I pray that he helps us as a church family and reach those, you know, people. And so, but there's just, I regularly pray for all kinds of stuff. You know, there's things that I pray for. I t- spend time with Jesus, you know, and, and, and read scripture and all this. But as I was reading it this week, there's a little bit of conviction in Nathan's heart about, man, I, I don't spend a lot of focused time simply praying that God would send more people. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Pray earnestly to the Lord. Pray earnestly to God to send people out into the fields. I don't spend a whole lot of focused time simply praying for this. But here's what I know. If Jesus told us to pray for something, it's probably pretty important to pray for. Jesus told us, you know, he taught the disciples how to pray. You know, we talked about that many times, you know, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. You know, and you know, Jesus taught us to pray. But here's another command of Jesus. He says, pray to the Lord to send out more workers into the fields. See, Jesus forgives sins. He sees our past, but he also sees our future. Jesus sees what can be, not just what is. And Jesus calls us to be laborers in the harvest. And he commands us to pray for more laborers to be sent into the fields. So this morning, that's how we're going to end today. We're going to end for God to uh, we're going to end praying for God to send more workers into the fields. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and first off, we say thank you. We say thank you for forgiving us from, from our many, many mistakes. We thank you, Lord, that our past does not disqualify us from expanding your kingdom. Our past does not disqualify us from living on your mission. God, that you don't just look at us and see our brokenness and see our sin. God, but you look at us and you see what we can be through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And you call us into your family and then you call us onto your team to go out and to live on your mission. And God, this morning, we pray first that you would send us. God, we say, here we are, send us. Send us into our communities, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces. God, we pray that you would send us to the people around us to be lights of hope. We'd be carriers of the blessed hope. We'd be carriers of the good news. And that through the influence we have on other people's life, through the love that we show to them, that they would come to know you. God, we pray that you would send us. But also, Father, we pray that you would send more laborers into the fields. God, that people all over this community, all over the churches, God, the thousands of people in Trustville, Alabama, who are gathered in churches across this community this morning, God, I pray that there would be a a holy fire lit within our bones and a passion for people who are hurting and who are lost. That we would be moved with compassion, that you would send laborers into the field to collect your harvest. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the people around us that need you. You'd open our hearts and our minds and our ears. We'd be open to those opportunities. We'd have the boldness to step out, to pray for people when they need prayer, to share the good news when they need, uh, when they need to hear it. God, to, be, to invite people into a church community when they need to be invited. God, we know that your Holy Spirit is with us. Your Holy Spirit is in us. We know, Holy Spirit, that you will guide us and that you will lead us. So we count on you to lead us. And we pray that you would send even more laborers into the fields. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Would you stand with me this morning? And the last thing we're going to do this morning, before we head out, something we're going to do every Sunday here.
2022, we're going to read our theme verse out loud together. So, uh, John 15, 5 is our church's verse. That's why we're called Vine Church. Uh, but then Matthew 28, 20, that's going to be our theme verse throughout this entire year. So I'm going to uh, ask you to read it out loud with me. Here we go. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. I hope you never forget it. Jesus is with you even till the end of the age. I love you so much. Let's make a difference this week. Uh, grab all the desserts. Feel free to eat the sugar. I don't mind eating some veggies, but take those so I don't have to take them home. All right, we'll see you soon.